Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. So last week, or last episode, we talked about um, asking for money. And this week, um, at least for the first part of the show, I wanted to, I found a another sort of another way that I'm going to start asking for money. Um, and I think it's a good kind of one-two with last week's uh, show. And then we'll probably, uh, if we have time, which I hope we will, talk about these shiny new um, MacBook Pros that just came out. Um, but to start with, I wanted to talk about something that I'm doing in Widgetsmith, which it's one of those funny things where the like the, I, if I just des- sort of describe what it is I'm doing, it sounds completely absurd that I'm not wasn't doing this before, but I have my reasons, and that's what I want to talk about. So in Widgetsmith, there's a subscription that you can use to unlock um, some sort of special themes, uh, weather, or tied data, and remove ads. This is a subscription that's been in there since the beginning, and um, you know is one, one of the main ways that the app makes makes money. However. Um, until just a few hours ago when I released uh, the last update to Widgetsmith. Um, if you have a subscription and you had set up widgets that made use of these special features, um, th- those widgets would always work forever into the future, regardless of whether you had a subscription. Oh. So, so I would never take away um, your ability to, you know, if you had a, oh, you had a weather widget, um, you put it on your home screen. So if you've signed up for one month, uh, or I think you could have even have just had the free trial and like never actually paid, um, I never took it away. It would just always work forever. And you could just continue to have the benefit like without, without any downside. That's awful. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sorry. Well, you you think you're being nice? That's just a bug. <laughs> like that's that's not good. <laughs> that's a business model bug. If anything else, <laughs> sure. well, and this is so. This is the thing, right? So this is why I think it's an interesting topic to discuss. Is like it was a conscious choice I made. It wasn't a <laughs> an oversight. It was a conscious choice, and specifically, it was coming from a place where, obviously, what I in the best case scenario, I wanted to have lots of happy subscribers. And people who, you know, subscribe have a reason to continue subscribing that it, you know, they, they don't, there's not this weird like, well, you can just keep using the stuff you were paying for if, even if you stop paying. But the thing that I got stuck on and the thing that our last discussion kind of prompted me to really finally dig into is I was I always had this anxiety and this fear that I was going to take away the functionality from someone who actually in reality did have a paying subscription. And I had sort of over-indexed and weighted myself on avoiding that um, rather than the business benefit of taking, you know, and essentially creating an environment where that would encourage them to subscribe more. Um, And so this update was all about me, A, just changing it so that it goes away. So if you, you know, your subscription expires and your widget now says subscription expired, you know, please renew your subscription to keep using this widget. Um, but then also building out the infrastructure to be very, very, very sure that I never show that unless you really, true, truly, no joke, um, have an expired subscription. So that was the sort of journey I've gone on recently. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, as, as much as I'm giving you crap because that was way, way, way too generous of you, um, really at your own expense, especially because these are these are like paid info sources for you. So, <laughs> so you're actually losing money on these people. 
Um, sure am. But, <laughs> but, you know, but I can't blame you because I, I actually have, I, I do literally the same thing. Just, just, I think at a, at a smaller scale and a smaller rate of money loss, because when, when overcast premium subscription subscriptions expire, I actually have a grace period in the code that, that has ranged as, as I've changed things over time. This grace period has ranged from, uh, like a week to two months. Um, but, what what basically it is is like I don't actually take away your Overcast Premium benefits for about that much time, but whatever that whatever that grace period is, I think right now it's about two weeks, um, and part of that is because I wasn't confident in my own code, my own subscription checking code, the subscription checking process, the you know the app purchase servers, and some of the weirdness that can happen with payments. What happens if payments get declined and then somebody reactivates it like the next day? You know, in, in these kind of situations. You know, with Overcast Premium, the the cost to me, you know, there's there's a like you know opportunity cost of missing ad views uh, if the person has ads disabled with Premium, but the bigger cost to me is the Amazon S3 storage bill for any uploads that they have uploaded, um, because I that's just hosted on S3, so I pay you know whatever it is per gig for people's uploads, um, and so if I'm not getting money from them, then I will slowly lose money <laughs> on whatever their uploads are are sitting there costing me, and but the last thing I want to do is if somebody has, you know, a gig of uploads in, in Overcast and then their their credit card, you know, expired for, for the renewal and they missed the renewal and they have to do it like a day or two later, I don't want all their uploads to have been deleted in that time. Like that's a terrible experience for somebody who is trying to support me. Um, and, and I don't, you know, that, so that's why the grace period is there. Like I really want to make sure that, that A, that that their their sub actually did really expire. <laughs> that, that my code and Apple's code are sure that it did actually expire. And B, I add a little bit of grace period on top of that, just in, just so I don't like too aggressively delete people's data. Yeah, and I think that makes sense. And I think, well, I, mean, I think it's also important to say I think Apple has a grace period option that you can enable in App Store Connect as well. Where if oh, I didn't know that. So, which I think I remember setting when I was setting up my subscriptions, there was just a checkbox you can check that basically says, if a subscription ends because of a billing issue, would you like it to? I think you can have it sort of extend for seven days or something to deal with the situation. So it would sort of renew, but not really, um, up to up to a little bit of time. Based if it's obviously if they cancel your subscription, you won't get the grace period. But if it's just the credit card has expired or something doesn't go through correctly or whatever, um, I believe there's a way to do that as well built into Apple's thing. But I think having a grace period beyond that additionally also certainly um, can make sense. And I think it's one of these – it is this funny question of like you're sort of dealing with the same problem of what you really don't – you don't – there is this consequence for taking it away from someone that you you want to make sure that you are really, really, really sure you're doing it um, at the right time because there's a, like lose you know, annoying the person who liked your app well enough to t- you know, actually start paying you money for it is you know the last thing you want to do and so being really thoughtful and also having a good clean renewal experience I think also makes sense so like when you're in your case it's making sure that your previously uploaded files or don't have to be re-uploaded that there's obviously a cost in keeping them there for a little bit of time but that period of time also means that if they renew it's like boom they're right back where they started it's great and similarly for me it's like making sure that if you renew 
your all your widgets that previously were expo- you know showing like the expiration handler like immediately flip over everything's back where it was you don't have to do anything it's not like you have to re-add those widgets to your home screen uh, like making that experience really seamless definitely has an advantage but it's you know, it's it's a weird confidence thing at least for me that was it's like i had such a such anxiety that i was going to be doing it the wrong way and some somewhere somehow someone who did have an active subscription was going to be shown you know the expiration handle handle thing and then they would be grumpy and I, you know ultimately i would lose them as a subscriber which um, you know, it's probably, is that, is definitely like, I was in, I was focusing on the wrong aspect of it rather than the giving people free subscriptions. And especially, you know, it's like understanding that there's an active cost to that. But I think that was the lesson I've learned through this process. It's like, <laughs> it's entirely, it's entirely fair and reasonable to just do that. And if that is the case, if there are bugs that are, I'm taking away features from people who should have them, like they will let me know probably, or that's just a bug that I should fix just like any other bug. And, like the individual subscriber, as long as that's not everybody's situation, then the individual subscriber is probably not going to be, um, you know, it, it too big of a deal if they identify some bug or some problem somewhere uh, that I'd have to then go and fix. And this is actually, this gets into like business model planning as well, that like one of the reasons why I'm able to give a pretty generous grace period on on like when I delete your your S3 uploads and probably one of the reasons why you're able to not have your life ruined when these people's subs expire is to build in a really healthy profit margin. Like if you look at the the amount of storage Overcast gives you, actually, <laughs> I don't even know. Is it five gigs? I forget what I've set it at now. Uh, ten gigs. I now. don't know. Ten gigs. I have it. At, sure. I have it at ten gigs. Um, and if you look at what ten gigs of, of service or of storage costs on S3, um, it's it's not ten dollars a year. It's less than that. And that, like that's what Overcast Premium charges, and you know of that I I get about eight dollars a year. I have a profit margin built in there, and part of that is because hey, look, it's business you're paying me. Like that's that's business, but also also part of it is I want to be sure that I have enough of a margin that these little like edge cases here will not ruin me. Or or similarly, like you know there are ways to temporarily abuse my upload system like there are ways to bypass your own storage limit briefly um, but in practice like you know nobody really does that because there's not really any benefit to doing that um, sure but but b like if people do that again the margins will cover the difference like i'm i'm not going to be sunk by that because it's fine like i i, I have enough leeway in the margins that uh that that's not going to suit my business and, and, I, and i strongly recommend for anybody out there who is pricing, uh, you know, an app or or a subscription where you have like data or whatever costs on the back end for each user, I strongly recommend leaving a very healthy profit margin. Like your your costs should be, you know, I'm ballparking here, maybe twenty percent at most of that subscription price. Like you, you yeah. should have a a huge margin on that because not only you know not only is that totally reasonable as a business person in this kind of context, but also you you need that to cover these edge cases. Yeah, and I think too similarly it makes me think of the realities of having a trial um, for your subscription. Uh, similarly, you need obviously a business model such that the number of people who are using the trial who have not then obviously paid you anything um, doesn't sink your business either. For the same reason that because what you really want is lots of people to try it. You want lots of people to be subscribing and signing up. And obviously you want them ultimately to be converting, but some percentage of them won't. Or if you have periods where you have 
a high spike in new trial starts before you actually have revenue. And the duration of your res- revenue is also something to think about. But it's like it's definitely is one of these things that it's just good to be think be thoughtful about and think through to make sure that you know your your business model is resilient against um these these types of choices. And and, and understand too that it's like, yeah, this is just a choice I'd made. And it's like it was a cost that I decided because, you know, the nice thing about the things that cost money for me in this case are the, the weather data. And it's, it scales a little bit, but it's in the individual cost of weather data is not too bad, um, especially at the scale that I'm uh, purchasing it. Um, but I also just wanted to talk to through slightly the, what I'm doing to make sh- extra double, triple sure about this. And I think it's just a good way to think about it is I, in a lot of places in my code, in the actual app itself, like I'm less resilient in the, in it to if you if you're actually subscribed or not. In terms of, I do all the things I should do. I use Revenue Cat for my subscription management, the previous sponsor, but not this time. And there, uh, like I, you know, use them to make sure to 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 re- periodically validate whether someone has a subscription. And if I think they don't, you know, I have little indicators and marks, you know, little lock icons appear on some of their widgets, or it shows text in different places in the app based on that. <laughs> that's like, <laughs> that's like the, the UI equivalent of a, <clears throat> like, yes, like, that's like the most subtle, like polite, like, excuse me, excuse me. Um, you, you still haven't paid your bill. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it is. And, but, but, but the version that's on the home screen is the like big version of that where I, in big, you know, in big text, I'm like, nope, it's not going to work. So, I mean, if you wanted to look at the weather data inside of the app on, you know, in in the editor, you could. Like, fair enough. That's the choice I'm making. But like, I want to. That's where I've gone. But on the flip side, in the widget where I am actually showing up the you haven't paid screen, um, I in my re- widget refresh logic, like before I do that. I'd check in with Revenue Cat. Like they have a call that you can make that basically is the like, is this is this person a subscriber? Um, and I call that before I show the thing. So I'm doing a check in like regularly, and it, that way I'm not dealing with a weird case where I'm you know this isn't a some stale data or some weird cached result is being shown. It's like before I take it away from you, I make very good you know make make very sure that it's actually truly gone. Okay. And you've expired. And then, you know, revenue cat, in my case, is taking care of the, you know, keeping that data correct and accurate. And they, you know, they register for all the webhooks from Apple and all the, all the complicated subscription stuff that you can do. But it's like the way that I'm structuring it is it's like I use the normal, typical approach for managing your subscription. But before I take it away, like for realsies, I do one final, like actual contact your, contact, you know, contact the server, say, has this person really, you know, expired? And if yes, great. I'll show the, the you know, you need to you need to buy screen. Otherwise, um, I sort of continue to give them the benefit of the doubt if there's some weird renewal issue going on or a mismatch between what I have cash locally and what's um, actually truth on the server. 
We are brought to you this week by Things, the award-winning to-do app. I want to tell you about a fantastic feature they've just added, markdown support inside of your notes. Full-blown markdown. Headings, bold, italics, highlights, code, code blocks, you name it. All the markdown syntax is detected and rendered in beautiful style inside your to-dos and project notes. Now, you might think of this as kind of a surprising feature for a to-do app. That's because most to-do apps treat the notes field as a second-class citizen. It might be displayed in this tiny little font below a to-do or tucked away deep inside an inspector pane. But this is not how things does it. I love doing things in things <laughs> because I use the notes field extensively. This is where I put stuff like URLs I'm referring to, you know, tweets of people reporting a bug that, I'm, that I have a check mark for, uh, little sub items like detailed plans or whatever. It's fantastic. In things, your notes take center stage on your to-dos. You have plenty of room. Now, not everyone needs such long notes, but for the ones that do, it's great that you can now keep all this information right where you need it inside of things. And thanks to Markdown, even your longest notes look and feel fantastic. And Things is my preferred to-do app. In all other ways, it's just, I, I love it. The apps are really, really nice, fully native. Like, they, they've all, I think, won Apple Design Awards. If not, they should. Like, they're just really nice apps. So if you haven't tried Things, you really should. Just search for Things on the App Store or go to their website, thingsapp.com. You can download a free trial for your Mac and try the new Markdown feature and all the other features for yourself. Whatever it is you want to accomplish in life, Things can help you get there. Go to thingsapp.com and try the app today. Thanks to Things for sponsoring our show. So now that we've found ways to ask our users for money, we've also, this this last week, discovered a new way to spend that money. Um, <laughs> specifically, the this is the you know Apple gives you the money and then takes it right back. Um, yeah, right. So this is like the 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 you know the company script in the mining town or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. They might as well just pay us an Apple Store gift cards at this point. <laughs> yes, we're putting all the money right back to them. <laughs> yeah, and in this case, I am happy to report that. So we're, I'm recording this show on a a brand new 14 inch um, MacBook Pro with the M1 Max processor, which is Ooh. the worst name. Um, it's for the anything. M1 Max for M1 Max. <laughs> yeah, it's but it's the M1 Maximum. We have to use the full word. Yeah. The M1 Maximum. There we go. So, so I have an M1 Maximum in front of me. Or is it Maximilian? Maybe I don't know. Yeah, and it. It's great. I mean, it's a weird thing. Like, it's so I've had it for about a day. I think yours is on a boat somewhere. Mine is is going to be going to be loaded onto a boat in an hour, and then I will get it a few hours after that. Sure. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's like this is the like it's it's like the apology Mac. This is the it's 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 great in so many ways, and it's been it's fascinating to see. Apple's professional version of Apple Silicon that we had the M1, which I think we both love and I think had both been using mm-hmm. um, as our primary development machine for the last whatever year essentially, um, and it's been fabulous. I've loved it, and it was a night and day improvement from Intel. Um, and this is less, I would say, night and day, but is noticeable and meaningful. Um, but, but you know, coming from an M1. Um, so for me, so as I can speak to it more specifically in my own experience in the first day, so a clean build of Widgetsmith, which is an entirely SwiftUI app, um, but is quite extensive and has tons of SwiftUI views and everything. Um, on my M1, it takes about 40 seconds. And on this, it takes about 20 seconds. So, Oh, man, you're killing me. You're killing it's great. Me. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, and like, 
it's it's one of those funny things where it's like sure it's it's, it's you know it's it's a little bit you know, it's certainly expensive and compared to an M1 which is incredibly inexpensive in many ways like getting a MacBook Air with an M1 is an amazing machine for the money whereas this it's like I don't know if it's you know this cost this machine that I'm using now probably costs like five times what that machine costs or something and it's obviously not five times faster but I am n- noticing the sort of and I always get confused how to say this. It's like it's fifty percent faster or twice as fast. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's frustrating. <laughs> it's, it's it's fast. It's the reality is is it is noticeably faster for operations like compilation. You know the the changes that we saw going from Intel to to M1 around just general responsiveness. Um, I think are less noticeable that they were just, you know, the, the kind of like responsiveness of applications or the speed at which they took to launch and things. I've noticed, um, a lot less of that this time around, but for the purposes of things like compilation or, I mean, I'm not a video editor, but I imagine if that's the case or when you're bouncing a a logic project, when you're doing podcast editing for you, I guess, like it's going to be noticeable and it's going to be great. Oh, I'm. I'm so envious. I can't wait to get mine in literally a few hours. <laughs> yeah. But oh man, I'm looking forward to this cuz like I I I've seen a big range of games for people with Xcode benchmarks. Like it seems like for extremely large projects, it seems like the gains are actually not as big of a percentage, but for more medium-sized stuff like what you and I are compiling, um I'm seeing a lot of people report like, you know, roughly twice as fast. And and if that's true, uh for my for my project then I'm going to be extremely happy with this. And and this is like my my frustration here. And I know this is, you know, the the first worldiest of first world problems. My frustration here is that they did not release this chip in any desktop. And so if I want this chip and, and you know, I'm not expecting desktops to come out like next month or anything. It seems like I think Apple's done for the year with hardware releases, and so I, I think the the soonest we could expect desktops uh, with this would be in probably mid to late spring, and that is you know six months away. <laughs> so so you know it, the question is like, do I wait six months and leave my Mac Mini as my desktop? You know my my M1 Mac Mini, which I love, leave that as my desktop. Um, the only thing with the M1 Mac Mini is, you know, I do have slower compile times than these new ones will have, probably. And more important to me is that my RAM ceiling of 16 gigs with the M1 series of chips, uh, it, I'm I'm really up against that much of the time. And so I would definitely benefit from more RAM. Um, and so... I my my theory so far, and I'll you know you'll hear me here on ATP waffling about this probably for the next couple of weeks. Um, but I'm thinking you know one option would be to just get a higher powered configuration of this laptop and use it as my desktop. You know, plug it into the XDR and plug it into all my stuff, which is actually what I did with the MacBook Air, the M1 MacBook Air, for a little while before I had the Mac Mini. Um, but I love desktops, and I love like how they're always. They're always installed in the same place. They have more ports, although not as big of a difference anymore. <laughs> they sure. have they have more ports. They have you know hardware Ethernet built in. Um, you know they they're you never have to worry like oh is the internal screen woken up but the external screen isn't like no because there is no internal screen like it just it makes so many things easier and and more reliable and that's what I'm hoping to get someday in a in a you know a Mac Pro with apple silicon like that's that's my my long-term goal is is you know specced up mac pro with you know as the rumors indicate possibly like two to four of these m1 max chips that would be amazing 
but that doesn't exist yet and is probably not going to exist for at least six months and probably more like 12 months. So that is that that's the problem for me is like, do I actually want to have limited RAM and slow compile times for the next six to 12 months? Or do I want to, you know, change things up and maybe put a laptop as my desktop again and just have it in clamshell mode most of the time? So I don't know. I, I'll see what happens when I actually get mine to test and see how fast it is. Sure. And I feel like, too, it's I, this transitional period, like between essentially the ne- for the next year, probably, um, is I th- in my mind, I've just kind of accepted the fact that I may never – it's like e- at each point in this – in the – Apple Silicon rollout. I am not necessarily buying the perfect machine for my needs um, as we go, but I'm buying the best machine that's available. Um, yes, and that is going to essentially for the next year. That's just going to be the case. That whatever the last machine that Apple released, it's like in some ways starts to be. It's like that's the best one, and that's the best one, and it's better just in fundamentals. And then hopefully, you know, this time next year we will hit a point where now we can start to make those individual choices about which machine is the actual best one for my needs, for my circumstances, my setup. Um, however, I actually like, like it in practice. And it's weird because it's like, I think for me, I think for me personally, this 14 inch that I have here is probably the machine that I expect to continue buying. And like, if there's an M2 maximum that comes out, like I will buy that as well. When it, you know, it's like, it'll be sort of the one that I'm, um, sort of focused around because I like the portability. I like that I can, I don't have to have two setups that I, I manage, which is just a different, you know, preference for me. But I definitely also have in my mind that whatever they come out with that's better, it's like I want because the difference in my productivity, and my ability to do my job is tangibly impacted by having a machine that, um, compile so much faster that that is a noticeable thing that you know in a given month there's only so many hours of time that i will be able to be productive just in terms of like psychologically and logistically like that's all i've got whatever that number is i have a say i say i have 100 hours a month of like true productive time and if i can get the tooling out of the way of that time so i can be more productive so that i can get more done that has a tangible impact on my business and that, you know, may, may makes a lot of sense. And so, you know, if, if the rollout had been flipped around such that the, say like the 21 inch iMacs had come out first and then the, um, MacBook, the MacBook Air and MacBook Pro with the M1 and him have had to come out second, it's like, I probably would have bought one of the, you know, the iMacs and then, um, potentially skipped or maybe would have gotten the M1, but it's like understanding that the first machine was not the machine that I ultimately want, but it's like, it's just going to be, that's the best one that's available right now. And these are the best machines that are available right now. They're probably going to be the best machines that are available um, for any or six months. And so it's like, I'm excited to get it, I think. And I can start to have those benefits now because future benefits of a theoretical machine in the future, like don't do me any good because um, at that point, if there is a better choice, I can make that choice then. I can sell this machine. Like, I have choices that I can make then. But for now, like, it's amazing. It's great. And I'm, I couldn't be happier. Yeah, that, that to me, that's kind of the calculus I'm going through in my head, too, is like, you know, it, it feels wasteful to, to buy a machine that I might replace in six to 12 months. But when you, like, I'm doing so much development work right now. And every single time I build, like, to know that it could be like, 
twice as fast and as i as i see myself like crashing into my ram ceiling constantly i'm like oh boy like you know it it, it becomes potentially worth it you know because for a lot of people you know money is the more scarce resource than time and for me that was true for you know the first half of my life at least uh, if not two-thirds of the first but but now time is is the more scarce resource for me and i'm very fortunate that that's the case um but but you know what that means is that the calculus for this decision changes and if there is some way for me to save a substantial amount of time over the next 6 or 12 months that i that i otherwise would you know that things would otherwise just be slower during that time there is a big value to that to me and that value very well might and probably will cover the cost of this machine minus you know what i would get from sales and trade ins and stuff like that yep and i think that's yeah it's like that's just the reality and it's like if you it's one of those like it you know if you can afford it great do it i think you'll have a tangible impact if you can't like fair enough then you know get a macbook air and its costs for just was it uh a thousand ninety nine or something like that um it's like it's a great machine you won't be it's like you you you'll be getting um a lot of great impact from this but if you can afford one of these it's like go for it and like get it get sixty four gigs of ram because um that is i think by far the, the, the my biggest frustration with the m1 was that that i would periodically just hit hit the ram the ram limit and all of a sudden it's like my computer is unresponsive and broken until i work out what i need to shut down and deal with and so it's like 64 gigs that's a lot i don't expect to, to run into that limit um hardly at all yeah me too well i am very much looking forward to getting mine and also just i'm as i've said on atp like i'm so happy so far with these machines not again not having used one yet but all the reviews seem to support that it's as, as good as they say it is um and it, it they finally fixed the macbook pro it seems and, and i i cannot wait to get my hands on mine <laughs> i'm so excited yeah so thank you for listening everybody and we will talk to you in two weeks bye